You're listening to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, the podcast series that delivers access, insights, and perspective from some of the industry's most respected active managers and thought leaders. From market commentaries and economic analysis to personal finance, investing, and beyond, On The Money covers it all. Because when it comes to your money, we're on it. Hi, I'm Jason Gibbs, co-head of the Dynamic Equity team, and today I'm joined by Frank Ladshaw, who is lead portfolio manager on our infrastructure funds. This is a very timely update on infrastructure. I know it's been on uh, many people's minds. August and September have seen quite a bit of volatility in the markets, particularly in the infrastructure space. And infrastructure, utilities have had a bit of a tough go of it the past little while. So in a nutshell, for our audience, uh, what's been weighing on the space? Yeah, this is definitely a timely discussion. Not surprisingly near term, you know, the very abrupt rise in interest rates recently explains most of the uh, performance, in my opinion, as this has materially impacted, you know, the renewable power sector and the cell tower group as well within the infrastructure space, along with the regulated utilities, all which tend to be quite interest sensitive. Renewable power development has been an area of focus for some time in infrastructure in recent years, as we all know, but the substantial increase in financing costs and projects, along with what I'd call a development process that was not ready at all for cost inflation and higher rates, let alone the supply dislocations of the pandemic, has left this sector scrambling a bit to try and address this likely strong demand ahead for clean energy, complete the development projects that were in process and got caught off guard by the changes this cycle, and at the same time, adjust to the more challenging funding conditions this cycle versus last when looking to do new projects coming down the pipe. Cell towers were discussed, which is another sector in infrastructure that struggled recently. You know, I, I think they were discussed fairly thoroughly in a recent On The Money podcast with our real estate team, so I won't go into details here. Similarly, I, I think I'll touch on the regulated utilities a bit later in our conversation. I still very much like this group. You know, generally, infrastructure stocks across most sectors tend to be highly correlated to abrupt large moves in interest rates in the short term, which we've seen recently. So the past few weeks of infrastructure performance looks to me to be in keeping with this historical pattern. What generally tends to happen though over time, as rates settle down, near-term sentiment gives way to longer-term fundamentals, which still look quite good. So we're kind of in the, you know, the knee-jerk reaction phase of this pattern currently, and all the while I'd say the bottom-up fundamentals, you know, they haven't really changed that much at all. Now, when I look at the performance of listed infrastructure so far this cycle, which, you know, on a calendar year basis began at the end of 2019, it has been fairly sluggish, to be honest, and, you know, not very broad-based at all. We're basically flat since the end of the last cycle, with only a couple of sectors, namely North American rails and U.S. pipelines producing decent total returns. Regulated utilities are also, you know, in the green, so to speak, with positive returns, but, you know, not much beyond the dividends they have to offer. Renewables, power companies, and cell towers are actually now in the red on an average annual basis. And generally, out of the eight subsectors, only one to two with respect to stock performance have really continued to fire through the first three and a half years of this cycle. So, you know, the breadth has been quite poor. I think you need to first look at how the companies have performed bottom-up wise, and then consider the starting points and valuations we saw at the end of last cycle. So, Frank, when it comes to the subsectors of infrastructure, what have you been seeing? So, you know, we should start with growth, which, you know, for infrastructure has been lower versus the previous cycle. 
Earnings, I say, were about 8% a year per year before 2019. But the first four years of this cycle, it looks like it's closer to five. So we've seen a bit of a deceleration. You know, I can account for this in the following ways. You know, airports and toll roads, for example, you know, they were impacted by mobility restrictions from the pandemic and haven't fully recovered to 2019 levels. Renewables have seen major project delays and cost inflation pressure their cash flow growth. Towers have seen a deceleration in their earnings as the industry matures and, you know, mobile carriers, you know, are spending less on their networks. There hasn't been much in the way of oil and gas production volume growth or new pipeline capacity being built. And you know, rails have been probably more recently impacted by an inventory cycle, slowing growth a bit this year. Regulated utilities, on the other hand, are probably the one group that haven't really skipped a beat, at least in terms of their operating performance. So to summarize, earnings have continued to grow but have slowed due to a combination of pandemic-related factors as well as sector-specific factors. The outlook for growth using some uh, consensus expectations is probably a return to something closer to pre-pandemic, call it 8% over the next uh, two to three years and beyond. I think maybe more realistically, we should be looking at six to seven. That still makes a lot of sense as the economy decelerates from here and, and you know, hopefully interest rates and inflation you know, potentially calms down. So when it comes to valuations, Frank, in the infrastructure space, how do they look now? This to me has been the bigger headwind to performance in my opinion. You know, we've all read about how cash has now become a new asset class, but I think the higher interest rates that have surfaced this cycle that look to be here to stay have forced an adjustment to what investors are willing to pay for a dollar of infrastructure earnings. Put this in context, the average PE for listed infrastructure at the end of the previous cycle was roughly 20 to 22 times earnings. The current forward multiple today is contracted meaningfully to closer to 15 to 16 times. This has been a material headwind for stocks that these companies tend to only grow mid-single digits in terms of their earnings. To put this valuation level in a historical context, the long-term median has tended to be closer to you know, 16 to 16 and a half times. Long-term defined as 20 to 30 years, depending on how long the stock's been listed. When I'm looking at the sectors, the biggest valuation discounts are seen in cell towers and renewables, but also noteworthy discounts in airports, pipelines, and toll roads. Regulated utilities and rails are about where they should be in the historical context, so fair value. When I put it all together then, just looking at the performance in the space, you know, infrastructure earnings have slowed a bit this cycle, but should pick up in many areas. Valuations started off at a high level and have normalized in the context of higher interest rates. And my math for the stocks has been, you know, basically two steps forward on growth and two steps backwards on valuations. But things look now to have pretty much normalized. So Frank, about the only thing anyone seems to talk about in the markets anymore is interest rates. How are infrastructure companies dealing with the increase in interest rate environment? The ability to stick handle the new normal or return to normal environment we're in with respect to interest rates and inflation depends greatly on a number of factors for an infrastructure business, whether it's the degree of pricing power embedded in the model, the cost structure, the duration of bond issuances, extent to which the business model is self-funding, and of course, quality of management all play a key role. In the markets, investors have become a lot more discerning when it comes to CapEx-heavy, externally financed growth business models like most companies are in the infrastructure space. Given the tighter financial conditions brought on by higher rates and the commensurate higher cost of capital. Generally speaking, most infrastructure businesses have long duration debt outstanding where the trend has been the cost of carry declines gradually over time and refinancings had been done at rates lower than the previous issuance. Now that is reversing. The bad news is 
this is going to be a headwind to earnings going forward, probably for many years, if we're returning to a more normal rate environment. The good news is, it's not like having a Band-Aid being ripped off. It's a gradual process, where roughly 10% of the bonds issued on the balance sheet need to refinance each year on average. We haven't seen spreads widen that much either, meaning bond markets are pretty amenable to you know, financing these companies, albeit at a higher rate. And we're currently seeing new long-term debt issuances coming in, call it 1.5 to 2% above where the previous issuances were. So the average cost of debt is going up, but it does seem to be quite manageable. That said, this has become you know, a modest headwind, that, something that used to be a tailwind. One of the mistakes that investors often make, and, and I think they're making now, is they focus way too much sometimes on one factor and not that we are investing in businesses. And it's much more important when you invest in businesses and stocks to consider the long-term future fundamentals of that business. And Frank, we talk about it almost every day when the market focuses on only one thing. Um, it does create some uh, wonderful opportunities. So maybe thinking of that, what mitigates some of these interest rate costs going up? There's some factors, however, out there that are mitigating this that infrastructure companies are following. If we're talking about a regulated utility and the debt is being refinanced at the regulated entity level, then higher bond costs are recoverable through customer rates. If you're a toll road or an airport operator, then the cost of debt tends to be recoverable through the concession agreements through inflation indexation clauses. Toll roads have very high margins and the pricing power does help cover higher debt costs too, not just cost inflation. While many airports tend to be regulated and charge tariffs based on allowed returns, which include the cost of debt. If you're a rail operator, you tend to be self-financing from the get-go, so you're not really a CapEx-heavy business. Pipelines are not spending that much on growth now either, so similar to rails, they've also become self-funding business models. And renewables and cell tower businesses are a bit more vulnerable, however, as they are not protected by regulation. Although tower leases have inflation indexation, and they look to be moving closer to a self-funding model. Likewise, renewables are repricing new projects to reflect the higher cost of capital and are attempting to renegotiate revenue contracts for development projects that were hit by the higher financing costs that were locked down before PPAs were signed in the previous cycle. I've also seen a growing usage of convertible debt issuances being used as a way to keep the interest costs down, as they tend to have a lower coupon than that carried on regular debt issuances. It goes a long way to have an experienced management team that operates a business like it's in a competitive industry and looks for ways to manage operating costs down in any environment, despite the fact that they're probably operating a monopoly. So when I put it all together, higher rates need to be managed and represent a new challenge for the sector that probably shaves, call it one to one and a half percent off of base case earnings growth going forward. A net headwind, but not a game changer. And by focusing on properly defined infrastructure, we're talking about businesses that provide essential services and face limited substitution or competitive threats. Not spending on upgrading the infrastructure or building new essential projects does not seem to be an option. I would also say the ordering of rate sensitivity in the stocks aligns fairly well with my descriptions above and ranges from transportation and U.S. pipelines on the least sensitive end, renewable power and data infrastructure on the most, and regulated utilities somewhere in between. So generally, infrastructure companies are managing this challenge, and I suspect greater attention will be placed back on the long-term fundamentals once rates settle down. So Frank, uh, what areas of infrastructure are you most excited about and why? From a long-term lens, I still very much like 
what the regulated utility sector has to offer, primarily in North America. It aligns best with what I think investors in infrastructure are looking for, steady, visible, and durable earnings that can grow at a healthy rate for a long period of time. Let me dive into this a bit. For the first time since I've been doing this, which is close to 20 years, I'm now seeing demand load growth for power increasing. This at a time when a lot of coal-fired power is scheduled to shut down. Whether it's electrification or the heavy usage of power required to back the evolution of artificial intelligence, power demand seems more likely to go up from here versus flat to down like it's been for the long period of time due to energy efficiency trends. This is going to require significant utility investment in transmission, distribution, storage, and now generation. To me, there is a clear benefit to society and the economy over the long term to developing a firmer grid and a more reliable source of power that I think most politicians, households, and businesses can get behind. By building out this infrastructure under a supportive regulatory framework, you kind of get the best of both worlds with respect to growth, decent returns, and risk mitigation, at least compared to an unregulated business model where you're exposed to more competition. So Frank, what else are you seeing? Looking elsewhere, I really like the valuations and yields on offer in the towers sector as well. Although the businesses have changed from a higher growth, lower yield offering now to a lower growth, higher yield sector. I've become a lot more selective in the renewable power space, not just because of the development challenges that have evolved recently, but because the best in class names have been sold off as much as the next tier players. And I see a great opportunity to consolidate exposures here into the highest quality companies in this particular area. I will say this is a common theme across all infrastructure sectors right now, where I think many best-in-class names, which have been hit hardest from multiple compression recently due to rising rates, are now available at very compelling prices. When I turn to transports, I still see a great long-term future for North American rails that will benefit from the push to onshoring manufacturing in certain areas, and which will flex their NAFTA trade routes and logistical networks. At the same time, outside of a few protected areas of industry, global trade should continue to flow, which is also important for the rails. I maybe see a little less compelling growth outlook for toll roads and airport infrastructure in developed markets as challenges in mobility trends, such as less business travel or commuting back into the office, will likely result in more GDP-like growth going forward. There's still really good pieces of infrastructure though. And pipelines continue to offer attractive yields but modest growth. And it is good to see the dialogue has turned back to bottom-up fundamentals and an appreciation for the lasting role these assets will play in the energy transition. I would also say that the outlook for natural gas-fired production has actually improved, with new gas plant investments now expected in the coming years to help manage the expected power demand, which couldn't be met by renewables alone. So that's a fairly high-level list of what I like and what I think about the various sectors within infrastructure. So Frank, why should investors still have an allocation to infrastructure in their portfolios, given there are a number of increased alternatives now available in the market? What are the key things you would tell them? Yeah, this is a great question. And, you know, we're certainly seeing a lot more reasonable alternatives in the market today, given higher rates of interest and returns on offer for cash treasuries and investment grade corporate credits. Infrastructure tends to be placed in the more defensive quadrant of a portfolio or within the alternatives allocation, I suspect. Generally, it does not compete with higher risk, higher growth, deep value, or even GARP-type strategies. And historically, it's been the most correlated with high-yield bonds, which kind of makes sense 
given the risk-reward profile, seems to be somewhere in between stocks and fixed income because infrastructure has growth like an equity, but visibility of cash flows like a bond. The past three and a half years have been an adjustment for this sector to a new cycle, where we have seen the total return profile change from higher than typical growth to slower growth, lower dividend yields to higher dividend yields, and valuation multiple compression versus valuation expansion, as was the case last cycle in the face of TINA, or there is no alternative. Going forward, the total return model, I assume, shows a bit of multiple expansion from here, give or take, depending on the sector, as I think we're oversold on near-term rate concerns, with upper mid-single-digit sustainable growth driven by long-term investment needs, and now a higher dividend yield in the upper threes today versus lower threes to high twos in the previous cycle. So from the perspective of total returns, the profile actually hasn't changed that much from the previous cycle in aggregate, but the components that make it up have a bit. The businesses have also proven to be resilient from an operating standpoint in the face of a global pandemic, higher inflation, and higher interest rates. Although the high starting point in terms of valuations this cycle has proven insurmountable for the stocks. There's been a bit of a disconnect here if you were to just compare stock performance versus operating performance. So when advisors are looking for something defensive and different from the various lower risk alternatives available now, I think infrastructure can still be considered. It arguably has better long-term growth potential that is supported by sustainable growth through required investments that need to be made, whether it's digital infrastructure, power infrastructure, et cetera. Healthy dividend yields and much better valuations today versus at the start of the cycle. All right, thanks, Frank. So I think the last question we have for you is, given everything that we've discussed here today, has the long-term outlook for infrastructure changed? The short answer is no, not really, but the listed markets are still trying to figure out a reasonable starting point. And the more uncertainty there is about the level and direction of long-term interest rates, the harder it is for these stocks to find their footing. If you don't know where the starting blocks are, it's hard to begin the long distance run. Someone running an infrastructure business today is no doubt facing new challenges that weren't there before the pandemic, which I've talked about already. But the key driver for this asset class resides in the essential nature of the services provided, the necessity to ensure society's growing needs continue to be met, regulatory support remains in place, and the sectors are not oversupplied. In some areas, where societal changes have resulted in the supply curve shifting up, such as developed market toll roads and airports, it's hard to get as excited by long-term growth versus other areas like rails and regulated utilities where the demand curve is actually shifting higher. For renewables, we need to get through a challenging period here where in-process developments are written down, abandoned, or repriced, although it is looking increasingly like the distance between the leaders and laggards in this space is set to widen too and the tide is not flowing equally between best-in-class versus smaller next-tier renewable developers, so you need to be mindful of that. For pipelines, the higher yields and better cash flow offset the lower growth potential, and holding all of these asset classes together in a diversified portfolio should begin to pay off versus the lopsided performance we've seen so far and cycle to date. I think it makes sense to begin to focus on those highest-of-quality infrastructure stocks that have come down a lot in value lately. And I see tremendous long-term opportunity in these names where recent performance is judged not to be a harbinger of a bottom-up fundamental problem, but more a macro influence. I believe the markets will eventually reward the solid fundamentals of these businesses over time. So I acknowledge this cycle is different and brings new challenges. 
but it, the benefits of infrastructure being stable, healthy, long-term growth and yield hasn't really changed. This seems to be getting lost in the shuffle and overlooked by investors as they and the markets continue to recalibrate to a new normal environment this cycle. Well, thanks so much, Frank, for joining us today and giving us such a timely update on infrastructure. I know it's been on uh, many people's minds, what's going on in the space, and uh, you, you certainly helped me and I'm sure our listeners. And the only way to be a good investor is to think in the long term. I know it's very hard for many to do, but it's the only way to be successful in investing. These assets are lock solid for the long term and they're relatively simple to map out. And uh, that's why we've always liked this space and uh, better times ahead. So thank you. You've been listening to another edition of On The Money with Dynamic Funds. For more information on Dynamic and our complete lineup of actively managed funds, contact your financial advisor or visit our website at dynamic.ca. Thanks for joining us. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption or option changes or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.